Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. I'm not going to address temptation explicitly this morning, uh, but I am going to address the issue of idolatry. What comes to mind when you think of an idol? What immediately just springs into your mind? I recognize that maybe that depends a little bit on when you were born. Because if you were growing up in the 50s, you might think of somebody like James Dean as an idol. If you're growing up in the 70s like me, you might remember the teen idol Leif Garrett. If you weren't growing up in the 70s, you probably have no idea who Leif Garrett is. And maybe today you just think of something like American Idol. But I'm also aware that we're in a worship context this morning, and so you might be more inclined to think of ancient statues, uh, Egyptian idols or Roman idols or Greek idols that were worshipped, or you might even think more spiritually about idols and things that come to mind like work, money, greed as kinds of idols or certain obsessions or addictions. But whatever it is that comes to your mind, the scriptures actually have a lot to say about idols. And idolatry is a major concern throughout the scriptures, both in the Old Testament and New Testament. And when we turn to the Bible, we discover that God is strongly opposed to idolatry. The first two of the Ten Commandments addressing it, the prohibition against having other gods and against making images. But when we turn to the Bible, we have to ask, what does idolatry mean exactly? How are we to understand its nature and how are we to identify idolatry? Well, the 115th Psalm teaches us about idolatry and it also teaches us about God by revealing to us the living God in a world of idols. And so that's what we're going to consider this morning, Psalm 115, looking at the living God in a world of idols, as idols are contrasted, not only the living God, but the God who is the life-giving God as well. So if you have your Bibles this morning, you can turn to Psalm 115. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, you should be able to locate a Bible in one of the seats in front of you. And I believe that the 115th Psalm is on page 293 in those chair Bibles. So, If you have found Psalm 115, I invite you to stand for the reading now of God's Word. We'll read the whole psalm beginning then in verse 1. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory, for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak, eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear, noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel, feet, but do not walk, do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them come like them, so do all who trust in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. 
The Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's heavens. The earth he has given to the children of man. Dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth forevermore. Praise the Lord. This is the reading of God's word. May he add his blessing to it. You can be seated. Now, allow me to confess at the outset that it is not my extensive study of idolatry that has best prepared me to address this this morning, but sadly, it's my extensive personal experience of idols and idolatry in my own heart. But I'm persuaded that all of us have deep and pervasive struggles with idolatry at the level of our hearts. Even if we've never seen an episode of American Idol, even if we never bow down to statues, and even if we don't typically associate our sin struggles with idolatry. Truth is that John Calvin was simply right when he said, every one of us is, even from our mother's womb, a master craftsman of idols. And so it seems that the most natural place to begin is by defining our idolatry defining our idolatry. But while the Bible speaks often of idols and idolatry, it doesn't so much provide us with a definition as it does with a description of its practice, practice of idolatry. And in the Old Testament, idolatry commonly involved the worship of images made of things like silver or gold or wood. In fact, so pervasive was this worship of images in ancient cultures that to not have a visible representation or image of the God you were worshiping was seen as not having a God at all. You had an imageless God, which is why the question arises among the nations in verse 2. Where is their God? Why do the nations say, where is their God? And the psalmist answers by declaring that the God of Israel dwells unseen, unimaged in the heavens above, and he does all that he pleases. He does all that he pleases in contrast in verses 5 through 7 of the idols of the nations who, although they have mouths, they do not speak, eyes but do not see, ears but don't hear, noses but don't smell, hands but don't feel, feet but don't walk. Now, I want you to notice that this isn't only a description of an inanimate statue. What else does this describe? It describes a corpse. This is the description of a corpse. So the psalmist concludes in verse 8 with the statement, all who make them will become like them, lifeless and dead. Now, as we move toward the New Testament, it becomes clear that idolatry is not primarily about making images per se about an act of worship. Images are worship. That's at the heart of idolatry, an act of worship. This is implicit in Psalm 115, which you'll notice begins with ascribing glory to God's name in verse 1. It moves from that, ascribing glory, which is an act of worship, to renouncing idolatry. Why the movement from worship to renouncing idolatry? What's the connection? Connection is this. Idolatry, the worship disorder. That's what idolatry is. So here's the first thing we can say. I'm going to add a lot to this definition, so I don't know when you want to write this down. But idolatry at this point, we could say, is a worship disorder of giving glory to someone or something other than God. Giving glory to something in creation rather than to the creator. Viewing something in creation as if it's the fourth member of the Trinity. It's idolatry. Describing glory 
to something in creation rather than to the creator. But we could also say that giving glory means ascribing worth, weight, and value to something. And so in idolatry, we can add this. The worship disorder of ascribing ultimate worth, weight, and value to someone or something other than the true God. Ascribing ultimate worth, weight, and value to someone or something other than the true God. But we can keep going because we give ultimate worth, weight, and value to something when we identify it as the source of ultimate life and blessing. That's what we'll give ultimate worth, weight, and value to. That which we think gives life and blessing. Both quantity of life, more time, more life, and quality of life in the form of blessing. Isn't this why the ancients would worship the sun? Because it was viewed as the source of life and blessing. Or while others would worship the earth as a source of life and and blessing. However you have identified that source of life and blessing, you will pursue it and you will devote yourself entirely to it. In other words, you will worship it as God. What you view as the source of life and blessing ultimately be what you serve and worship. And in idolatry, we seek life and blessing in a source other than God. And we do that because our sin deceives us. Sin deceives us in two ways. First, we falsely identify ultimate source of life and blessing. We falsely identify what that is. And secondly, we're also misled as to what true life and real blessings really are. Received in both of those ways. We miss the source and we mislabel true life and blessing. And so we could actually add this to the definition now. Idolatry is a worship disorder of ascribing ultimate worth, weight, and value to someone or something other than the true God to provide life and blessing. Not quite done yet. Another way of saying this is that in idolatry, we place our ultimate trust in someone or something other than God. Notice that a central concern of this psalm, particularly ending in verse 8 and then through verses 9 through 11, is this issue of trust. Issue of trust. That means that idolatry is deeply personal and relational it deals with issues of who or what we place our trust in. Will we trust God or will we trust idols provide life and blessing? Welch says this. He says we want things and aren't sure God will give them to us. So we put our trust in other gods. This is the problem of the human heart, he writes. Misplaced trust. Value, love, and trust in something in creation than the creator. And so with this in mind, we can arrive at a final definition of idolatry. Idolatry is a worship disorder of placing ultimate trust in, ascribing ultimate worth, weight, and value to one or something other than the true God in order to provide life blessing. How I would define idolatry. If you try to publish this, at least give me some credit. The definition. I think, I think this is captures the essence of what the Bible means by idolatry. So we could say this in according to the Bible. Faith trusts God. Part of the essence of faith. The Bible means by faith is trusting God and in trusting God, faith worships God and worshiping God finds stability, 
blessing, and life. That's the progression. Trust in God, worship of God, stability, blessing, life. On the other hand, unbelief rejects God, so worships idols, so finds instability, fear, and ultimately death. Remember that those who make them will become like them. Okay, defining our idolatry. But we have to do more than defining our idols. We have to move on to dis- diagnosing our idolatry. So that's the second point, diagnosing idolatry. Now, when it comes to diagnosing our idolatry, we could look at the idols of false religions, we could examine the idols of our broader culture, and both of those things are very, very important. They influence us. But what I want to focus on this morning is the personal idols of our hearts, our personal idols not cultural idols or idols of false religions, but the personal idols of our heart, which that seems like it would be easy to diagnose those idols. After all, they're in our own hearts. But the truth is our idols tend to reside in the deeper recesses of our hearts. And so diagnosing them and identifying them generally requires some intense self-reflection and very penetrating questions. So it's been said that our religion is what we do with our solitude. Your religion is what you do with your solitude. And so one approach to diagnosing our idolatry is to examine your private life. Examine the most private features of your life with questions like this. What are your daydreams? What do you daydream about? What are your fantasies? Fantasies are really self-created worlds and events over which we exercise complete sovereignty. So it reveals to us how our world would be if we were God. It helps us identify what some of those idols might be. What's the first thing your mind drifts toward in the morning? The last thing it's drifting toward at night? Some other good questions are, what's your vision of paradise? What's in it? What's not in it? Who's in it? Who's not in it? What do you spend most of your time doing? And why do you spend most of your time doing that? you do with free time others don't have a claim on what do you end up doing at that time and why what makes you shout question i'm using from paul tripp i think it's a great question what makes you shout either in anger or in elation what provokes something to that degree that you would shout does your money go investing in finally what do you pray for sadly our idols can come out even in our prayer life So, examine your thoughts, listen to your emotions, watch your investments. That can help you identify what some of the idols are residing in your heart. But I think another way of diagnosing our idolatry is examining where we turn with our most basic longings. Where do you turn? To whom do you turn with your most basic longings? Now, let me suggest this morning that we have four basic longings we all share. Four basic things that all of us are after all the time. Whether you're two years old or whether you're 92 years old. All after these things. These things are acceptance and approval, safety and security, joy and pleasure, purpose and minion. This last one referring to longing to have our lives matter. They're significant. Our lives are worth something and mean something. All of us want these things. We're longing to have these things fulfilled. Now, let me say at this point, too, it's important that we don't view these things as idols 
These things are not themselves idols or idolatrous. In fact, I would say that God has given us these longings, and the fulfillment of these longings is what the Bible means by life and blessing. Or to use biblical language, what the Bible would mean by shalom, holistic kind of peace in life, to have all of these longings filled. So they're not idolatrous. But another thing to note about these basic longings is they are interrelated. For example, um, safety and security is promoted by a sense of acceptance. Acceptance and approval can give us a sense of purpose and meaning. So they're, they're connected, but we can distinguish them. The other thing we should note is that while we long to have these fulfilled, we also fear their opposites. So our life is not only characterized by a pursuit of having these longings fulfilled, it's also characterized by an avoidance of their opposite. And so we avoid rejection, we seek to avoid loss, we seek to avoid pain, we seek to avoid a sense of meaninglessness. It's all of us. I would suggest that everyone in this room is characterized by these things all the time. Again, let me say, this is not idolatrous in and of itself. Idolatry comes in when we seek ultimate fulfillment in these longings, ultimate fulfillment for these longings, in anything or anyone other than God. In other words, if you want to identify your idols... If you don't seek ultimate acceptance and approval in God, but in something else, that something else is your idol. If you don't seek ultimate safety in God, whatever you're seeking it in, that's your idol. We can explore this in a little bit more detail. Where do you seek ultimate acceptance and approval? It's not God, it's an idol. And common acceptance idols, relationships. The most common approval and acceptance idols, relationships, parents, siblings, opposite sex, which explains why we're often so obsessed with romance, because we're seeking ultimate acceptance and approval in those kinds of relationships. Co-workers, friends, peers, other people as a whole, which is expressed in this just general need to be liked by everyone, placed our ultimate hope for acceptance in other people. Now, again, it's not sinful to want to be accepted by your friends or by your parents. It's not sinful. Seek ultimate acceptance from your friends or from your parents. That is sinful. It's called idolatry. And seeking ultimate acceptance and approval outside of God can manifest itself in all kinds of ways. And this is going to be too much to write down. So if you're a note taker, I wouldn't necessarily encourage you to try to write this down. I would rather you reflect on your own heart Assess whether these manifestations are operating in your heart because you've got acceptance idols. It can manifest itself through perfectionism, aiming for acceptance ultimately outside of God and the gospel. So you pursue perfectionism, workaholism, materialism and greed, people-pleasing, avoidance of conflict. You know why people often avoid conflict? Because they fear rejection. They lose acceptance and approval from people. Fear of failure, same thing. Crippling social inhibitions. Self-absorption. Not sharing the gospel. Why so many of us are fearful to share the gospel with other people? It's about rejection. A longing for the acceptance of people over a longing for the acceptance from God. Drug use. Which here, it's not so much only that we turn to drugs to fit into a peer group. Sometimes we can turn to drugs to treat the fear of rejection. It may be coming into play in different ways there. Envy, 
pursuit of beauty, fame, public adoration, depression, and more. But at the root of many of these things is a search for acceptance to be filled outside of God. How about security and safety? And what do you seek ultimate security? If it's not God, it's an idol. Safety idols are things like power, the accruing of power, and influence, money, self-reliance. And seeking our ultimate safety outside of God can show up in things like efforts to control and manipulate. Controlling people, I can speak from experience because I'm one of them, generally have idol place of God and are seeking outside of God to have some kind of safety. They try to control things and manipulate things and people. Lying, theft, material accumulation, perfectionism, having hovering or suffocating relationships, meaning you're the one hovering and suffocating people in relationships because there's a, there's a desire for control because you're not trusting God in that. And of course, our inability to control all those things leads to stress, worry, and anxiety, can lead to drug use, social withdrawal, and more. What's going on at the level of the heart when these things are expressed is possibly safety idol. You're not trusting God, you're trusting something else, safety and security. Where do you seek ultimate joy and pleasure? If not in God, it's an idol. Our pleasure idols include things like food, sex, pornography. Remember that our fourth annual Porn Kills Conference will be coming up in early November. Pornography, by the way, can also be a symptom of acceptance idols. Turn to the pseudo-intimacy that something like pornography offers but can never deliver. Food, sex, drugs, entertainment in the form of film or television, music, sports, social media, gaming. All of these can become idols in which we seek ultimate joy and pleasure. Manifestations would include addictions of all kinds, food, sex, gambling, drugs. But because we're seeking our ultimate joy and pleasure, things outside of God, it can also lead to social irresponsibility, lack of productivity, laziness, apathy, failure to prioritize and manage time, obsession with novelty and risk-seeking, self-absorption, Boredom from the law of diminishing returns, which is what always happens with things in creation. And, of course, more than just these manifestations. And finally, where do you seek ultimate purpose and meaning in life? It's not God, it's an idol. Purpose idols can include things like work, productivity, professional accomplishment and recognition, reputation, family, and relationships. But notice the distinction here. The relationship is not sought in order to be liked or to be accepted. The relationship here is the grounds on which your life counts, has meaning. Whether you're liked or not, the relationship gives you meaning. So notice that some of these things, oh, I didn't go to the manifestations yet, did I? So the manifestations of this would be things like ambition, workaholism, a neglect of others. Purpose idols are interesting because if someone's idle, work and productivity. A person will tend to neglect relationships very, very close to them. And so there can even be a kind of child sacrifice practiced by parents who find their ultimate purpose in work. But at the same time, someone who finds their ultimate purpose in parenting can fall into child worship because their whole life finds purpose in those relationships. 
but can be one or the other, an exploitation of others. You just use others to serve your purpose. Wealth, because having money means that you matter. Perfectionism, fear of failure, an identity crisis, right? If something happens to that purpose, you've lost your identity. Your purpose has been removed. Of course, trying to establish an ultimate purpose yourself leads to stress, drug use, depression, self-absorption, even more. Just scratching the surface here, but I'm, I'm trying to present these categories this morning that can help us diagnose our idolatry. Notice that some things show up in multiple categories. Perfectionism, self-absorption, stress, drug use, which is exactly why we need to dig really deep about what's going on at the level of your heart and what's going on with your longings. To think deeply and reflectively about that. In any case, we can say, wherever you turn with your most basic longings and with your most basic fears, wherever you're going, whoever you're going to, it's an idol. It's not God. You're worshiping that, serving it. Of course, the truth is we may have more than one idol that we're serving. But in idolatry, we're going to look to created things instead of the creator for ultimate acceptance, ultimate safety, ultimate pleasure, and ultimate purpose. But the, the, the word ultimate is key there. Let me reiterate, it is not sinful to want your friends to like you, to accept you, and to approve of you. It's not sinful to have a savings account in case of, of an emergency. It's not sinful to have an insurance policy for safety. It's not sinful to enjoy a good meal or a massage because it's pleasurable. It's not sinful to derive a degree of meaning and significance out of work and productivity. Sinful is, that when those is when those things become ultimate. That will only and always lead to frustration, disappointment, and hurt because nothing and no one in creation can fulfill those longings of your heart. Nothing in creation and no one in creation was intended to fill those longings in your heart. So instead of turning to idols, you need to be about the task of defeating idolatry. How do we go about do that? How do we defeat our idolatry? Well, first, you cannot merely aim at amending outward behaviors. You can't merely aim at behaviors. You have to be diligent, diagnose and identify what's going on at the level of your heart. What is ruling your heart and what substitutes are you looking to to fulfill your most basic longings? You have to be willing to wrestle with that. You have to ask yourself the hard questions. And be willing to place yourself in a community of faith that will ask the hard questions. So first, to diagnose and identify our idols. That's the first step in defeating it. What are they you're dealing with? Secondly, believe Psalm 115. It says that idols are futile to confer life and blessing. So turn from those idols. It will not offer ultimately what you're after can't provide it. So turn from idols, God. Nothing and no one in creation provides unwavering acceptance. Realize that, right? You're not going to find anything in creation that offers unwavering acceptance. Even the best people in the world are sinful people. This world affords no ultimate safety against loss, right? We all live in the world together. We know that. It doesn't offer that. The world's pleasures are fleeting, diminish. It can't protect us against pain. And the reality of the grave raises questions. Any meaning and purpose in life? 
So we have to turn from idols, but when we turn from idols and turn to God, here's what we find. With the Lord, there is unwavering acceptance in the form of steadfast love and faithfulness. Isn't this what verse 1 of the psalm proclaims? Steadfast love and faithfulness. That's unwavering acceptance. God is our ultimate security. Three times in the psalm, what does the psalmist repeat? He is our help and our shield. He is our help and our shield. He is our help and our shield. You know what that's about? That's about safety. Who is our safety? Not an idol. It's the Lord. Joy and pleasure is found in him who gives increase. Verse 14. Him who gives increase. And as the psalmist says elsewhere in Psalm 16, verse 11, it says to God, in your presence... There is fullness of joy at your right hand, pleasures forevermore. The psalmist says elsewhere, he gives us our purpose. It says the earth he has given to the children of man. Right there in verse 16, why is that inserted into the psalm? Harkens back to Genesis 1. Adam and Eve were created in the image of God and placed in this world to exercise dominion. That's why our life matters. Image bearers called to reign and steward of the earth. Our purpose is found in him and in glorifying him. And while in verses 17 and 18 it says the dead do not praise the Lord nor do any who go down into silence, the psalmist says we, those who trust the Lord, will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. You know what that's saying? Saying that with God, true life. And not just, true, not just life in this age, everlasting life confers everlasting life and he is the true source of blessing notice in verses 12 and 13 he will bless us he will bless the house of israel he will bless the house of aaron he will bless those who fear the lord life and blessing is found ultimately in god so we need to turn from idols and trust in him and finally trusting him worship him that's how we defeat our idolatry worship the one true god see it's not enough just to turn from your idols you have to replace your idolatry with true worship of the true God. The best way to combat the weeds of idolatry in your heart is to cultivate true worship of the true God. The best way to combat the weeds of idolatry is to cultivate true worship. So one last thing. If we worship idols to get things that we want, do worship idols to get things that we want, is that why we worship God too? Just to get what we want? Well, not exactly. It kind of depends on what we want. We need to deny is that God is a means of acceptance or security or pleasure or meaning as if go to God because he intends to give us something in creation to fulfill these longings. It's not a means to those things. He gives us himself those things. The great discovery is that our longing for acceptance and security and pleasure and purpose it's really a longing for God himself as the supplier and as the source of all of those things. He is our acceptance. He doesn't just give us acceptance somewhere else. He is our acceptance. He is our safety and security. He is our pleasure. He is our purpose. And he is these things for us, Jesus. Jesus in whose righteousness we are accepted before God. You see, our acceptance and approval is in Jesus, who said in John 15, 9, as the Father has loved me, think about this, as the Father has loved me, infinite, eternal, unwavering love, so I have loved you, he says. That's ultimate acceptance. Our safety and security 
than Jesus who said to his disciples, they will never, or said about his disciples, they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. That's our refuge. That's our safety and it's our security and our mighty fortress. Our joy and our pleasures in Jesus who said to his disciples in John 15, 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Our purpose is in Jesus who gave us the great commission in Matthew 28 and promised that we would reign with him forever in the new heavens and the new earth in Revelation 22, 5. See, it's to know God and to worship God, to love God and to be loved by God in which we find true and ultimate life and blessing. Robert Murray McShane probably said it the best when he said, you have access to him who is the fountain of happiness. Have you to do any more with idols? Oh, if your heart swims in the rays of God's love, will have no room in your heart for idols. Let's pray. Gracious God, we acknowledge, along with John Calvin, that our hearts are master craftsmen, idols. Help us, your grace, by your spirit, diagnose the idols in our heart to repent by your grace, defeat them by turning to you, by believing you are the source that fulfills our most basic longings, and with you and you alone, there is life and blessing. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.